0: It's so hard to end this song it's so good. Okay, sweet. Sorry, I'm going to kick this. I know I am. Um, Justin, I apologize for messing up your stand. Um, sweet. How are you guys doing? Good. I'm going to say the most old man thing I've ever said from stage. I am so excited it's raining because my yard needs it. I, guys, I, I'm getting my yard aerated on Saturday. And I don't know if you guys know what that is. I don't really care if you do, but it's supposed to improve your lawn, and I'm getting aerated on Saturday, and I'm so excited. I'm like the old man who just, like, stands out and looks at my grass and, like, yes. So fun stuff about me. So that's the only reason I'm excited about the rain. Um, but <clears throat> cool. Um, yeah, if you guys don't know me, my name is Andrew. I am on the college staff here. Um, I'm super excited. Um, if this is your first time, Welcome. We're glad you're here. We hope that, uh, yeah, we hope that Mountain View College is a place that you can find to be home, and you can find friends and community, and that's one of our goals here. So we hope that's a part of it. And if you are returning, it's good to see you if I haven't said what's up tonight. um, I am really excited about tonight, and one reason is because we are Closing the book of First Peter, and so I'm super excited to kind of like come to the end and see how Peter wraps up this book that we've been walking over the last six weeks. Um, I'm also really excited just because what Peter has to say tonight. Um, I'm also really a little sad because we have two weeks left of this before you, most of you guys go and have some, graduate and you go work career jobs, have fun with that. Life's about to change. Um, but the rest of you guys, you guys are gonna go do really cool things this summer. So with all that, I am really pumped to be here. Um, r- walking into the end of 1 Peter chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you guys can open up there. We'll be in the whole chapter tonight. Um, but before we get there, um, what I want to do is I kind of want to remind us, like, what has Peter been getting us to this point? Where has Peter been leading, directing, who's the author of this book, <clears throat> right? Some of the main things that we've been hitting is this, um, is that we in this life are exiles that are called to do good, Evening, even when suffering and hardship arises, we look to the example of Jesus who did, it, who did all this before. Um, and tonight, kind of taking that all into remembrance, uh, I want to step into this last chapter, and this is my goal for tonight. My goal is to encourage you as believers to stand firm in doing good even when temptation arises. And what I do with, what I, how I want to do this is I want to kind of lay out the two examples that Peter has for us that he talks about standing firm in. So if you guys wanna read with me, we're just gonna read the whole chapter through in chapter five. It says this, so I extort you, um, the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, extorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, or Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So, question for you guys. Who here has ever seen the movie Lord of the Rings? The rest of you, you're missing out. I know you're probably like, it's for nerds. It's great. Um... Okay, there's three movies. You got the Fellowship, you got the Twin Towers, and then you have the last one, which is the Return of the King. Two two, I say the Twin Towers, two towers. Okay, not the movie I'm talking about tonight, Josh. Okay, the Return of the King, the last movie. Um, there's this scene that's happening for the, for you that have seen it, you know what's going on. But for the rest of you, there's kind of this last battle which happens in most like good versus evil movies, right? You have the race of men, like human human mankind, that are going to war with these the orcs which are like the evil things these like created things but you have good evil happening so you you have this scene happening where this massive army of orcs these evil guys are coming over the city of gondor which is this massive city it's like the last hope of mankind if this was to be destroyed mankind is over the world will be taken over by evil and it's kind of the scene where this they're coming around gondor this massive city all hope is lost, and on the crest of this hill to the right, there's these horse, these, like a bunch of guys on horses coming up, and these are called the Riders of Rohan. Um, I'm getting pumped just thinking about it. It's such a great fight. I love this movie. Um, but the Riders of Rohan come up to the top of this hill, and they overlook, and they are very small in number compared to this massive army they're about to take on. And there's a leader, this older man, um, he starts riding back and forth, riding back and forth, and he's like hyping them up. He's like, we got this, we got this, we got this. And at the very end, he turns to, he turns to the, this army that he's about to fight, and he says, ride now. And he keeps saying, he says, ride now, ride now, ride now, and then they take off, right? And the battle ensues. And the reason I bring up this movie and this scene is because I think Peter is kind of doing the same thing to the people here. He's getting them all kind of hyped up and ready, and this idea of, like, let's get going. And While this guy who's hyping up this army is saying, ride now, I think what Peter is trying to echo here in his text is saying, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Right. And we see this in two different places here in this text. In verse 9, it says this. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And then in verse 12, it says, By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you praising and declaring that this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it, right? He first says this like kind of context in nine, he's like, hey, resist the devil, stand firm. And then he goes on to this idea of believing what is being taught to stand firm, right? Another way to think of this is like, cause we don't use this, like, like these words normal of standing firm is like not wavering, not giving in, like, like holding fast is another way to think of it. What Peter is trying to close out this letter is doing, he's saying, continue on. Right? Over the last six weeks, we've been walking through what Peter has um, Peter been saying. We have seen what these people have been called to, right? Um, right they've been laid out before them that in the face of suffering, they are called to continue to do good, to live differently, to, to not hold to the standards that the world is pushing them to. Peter is bringing all these together, and he's like, continue doing these things. Don't lose hope. Continue on. Right, and I think the term "standing firm" is pretty self-explanatory. Like, if I spent the rat, then like the next thirty minutes, like this is what it means. I think all of us are like, I could have took, got that in like two seconds. Right? The idea of standing firm is pretty understandable. But what I think most of us, when we hear the word and this phrase and this calling, is we kind of minimize what's actually happening. Right? I don't think it's intentional. I think sometimes we just get caught up in the flow of life, and the flow of things, and, and the, the, the current of what is going around us and we lose sight of what's really being called and the gravity and the weight of it. I think Paul really paints this beautiful picture for us in the book of Ephesians. In chapter six, verse 13, it says this. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Right? Right? <clears throat> Peter's kind of calling the church in Ephesus. What's happening here, the bigger context of this passage is he's talking about the armor of God. If you've never read it, it's a great passage. But what, it, what it's kind of getting to is that in our lives as we step forward, there's like this armor that we put on, right? It talks about these like pieces. It's like put on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Take up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God that pierces anything. And like it's this idea that we are going to war. Peter is try, or Paul in, in Ephesians here is trying to build up this thing that we are going to war and there's something more in our lives. Standing firm is not just standing there going like, I'm a Christian now, it's all good. He's like, no, prepare yourself for what is to come. And I think so often we just lose sight of that. <clears throat> I really do believe for many of us, we become Christians, we're like, it's all good now. I may sin a little bit, you know, it's not all these things, but in the grand scheme of things, It's okay. And I think we've just become extremely numb to the weight of our own sins and the weight of the battle that is before us. We have belittled the calling to stand firm, right? Because we truly don't believe that the calling we have is called to be faithful to the very end. Peter's wanted to see that our calling of following Jesus doesn't just end when we believe or when we reach a certain point or the ability to sin less. But the calling to stand firm drives us and pushes us forward to continue to pursue the Lord in what we do, even in the face of hardship. Right? And I think when you look at Peter, what he says here is like, why do we stand firm? Because our adversary is like a prowling lion, looking to devour us. I think so often we don't realize that our battle that there's someone trying to devour us and Satan, the devil, is looking to take us and pull us away from the Lord. I think most of us think that once we become saved, it's just this walk gingerly forward, but the truth is that Satan is looking to wreck our faith, to shipwreck us. And now I really, I want to clarify that because I, I, this idea that I'm saying about devouring is I don't think like Peter's here saying that we can lose our salvation, which I think a lot of us run to. Um, And I don't want to get confused and think that if you don't for some reason stand firm until the very end, your salvation is gone. Like I think scripture is extremely clear that we can't do that. Um, In Romans 8.30, it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What I think, like Scripture is pretty clear, saying is like you can't lose your salvation because you can't lose what you never held. Like Scripture is very clear that we can't. But what I think Peter is pointing to is the is our pursuit of Jesus. When we let our sins, our fears, our anxieties, false beliefs, anger, anything the devil throws our way, we give in. Right, because the goal of Satan is not to like like, because he, he can't, like, make us lose hope. But what he's trying to do is he may, wants to get us to a point that we stop believing the truth about Jesus. He wants us to be, like, he slowly wants to allow our hearts to turn to other things, right? He, he changes things in our life. Like, so that we come to a point of, like, man, I don't think God really provides, so I have to go do it myself. I don't really think God's plan for, for purity and sexuality is right, so I'm just going to give in to sex, Right? I don't think living a holy life, a set-apart life from the rest of the world, is really worth it. So you should just live like everyone else and do whatever you want. Right? Satan's goal is to turn us away from Jesus. Not to lose our salvation, right? but to get us to a place that we're so far from God that it, he's kind of the last thing on our minds, that we just keep living and go like, yeah, I go to church on Sunday, I go to Thursday nights, I go to life group, I read the Bible, but really God's not a part of our daily lives. He's not the all-encompassing part of us. That's Satan's goal. That's devouring us. That at the end of your life, you will get to and go, man, who did I really serve? Who did I give everything to? Because it wasn't God. That is what Peter is pointing to here of talking about being devoured. And that's what he's pointing to of standing firm. In our lives, is, are we pursuing God with all we have? And we realize that there's this battle going on for our for our souls, that is trying to pull us away from the God who has saved us. And I'm going to choose God through all of it. Do we stand firm in the midst of all that is going on? And I think why majority of this chapter, Peter paints these two groups, right? He gives us two groups that I think he talks about. And I think one, they, we all fall into both of them in some capacity. The first one is this. The first thing he calls is elders, now, for some of you guys, you may hear the word elder and go, like, I have no idea what the heck that is, right? You may have heard it. For some of you guys like, I've heard the word, I don't really understand it, right? The name like the name elder is just another word for pastor. It's so, like if you were to go back and you, like, knew the Greek, which I don't, I just use Bible Hub and it tells me what it means. Um, but you get to the word elder, elder, pastor, shepherd, it all means the same. Um, and so that, so anytime you see that in the scripture, it says shepherd, pastor, elder, all leads to pastors and yeah, really no synonymous, Um, right? But here in the first part of um, chapter five, Peter, like he's pointing to these elders and pastors and he's calling them to shepherd or lead the flock. He's calling them to exercise oversight, uh, meaning to lead and guide, to be examples of the flock and to do these things willingly and eagerly. Now, I think when we read these verses, our first thoughts do this, I'm not that. So I'm just gonna keep reading on. Right? It's really easy for us to, to see the word elder or some word that doesn't apply to us, and we just kind of go like, ah, those are good things for those people. Like Andrew, he's up on stage, and you know, he wants to do that one day, so he needs to follow these things, but not me. Like I'm not, I'm not in that role. And yes, do I think that Peter's talking about pastors? Yes. Like the guys that come up on stage, Micah, who was here last week, like the idea of that. But, but what I also think he's talking about is anyone who shepherds someone anyone who is, who is discipling others. Which, if, we're Christ, if you're a believer in this room, you fall under that category, right? It's the first words in the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, um, verses 19 to 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end. Literally, the, like Jesus' command to his people was, go therefore, as you go, make disciples. That's a calling that we all have. So if that's a calling that all of us are disciple makers, then that means all of us should fall under the role of what, like at least the context of what Peter's talking about here and the calling. So if we're called to be disciple makers, then this goes to us too, that we are called to shepherd. Maybe not a flock, maybe not a big group of people, but we are called to shepherd in some capacity people. So what, what's a calling of you as a disciple? Or, well, you shepherd them. You push them closer to Christ. How are you moving the people around you closer to Christ? The other thing is to exercise oversight, right? Not domineering people, but calling people that you are leading to not sin. I think this is a really hard one, because um, I think a lot of times the, the mentality is like, I'm in charge, so I get to like, tell you what you're doing wrong, um, But it's not that at all. It's calling and saying, hey, I see you falling in sin. Turn from it and run to the one who saves. And I think it's really interesting. Peter says that it's like, you have to be willing to confront sin, right? He says willing, not under compulsion. To do eagerly, but not for shameful gain. Because I think a lot of us, and if we're really honest with each other, we really like to point out other people's sin because it makes us look a lot better. But here's the really funny thing. Um, It'd be like this. If for some reason, I thought about this and then I was thinking through it again. I was like, this would never happen to someone, but it works. Like, let's just say you're covered in poop and you look at someone and go like, they're covered in poop, don't you smell them? It's like, no duh, but so are you. Like, the thing is, is, when we point out sin in others for the gain of ourselves, it's like pointing at someone with exactly what you're doing. Like, you're still gross, you're still covered, go get clean. Like, it's just how it goes. It'd be like if a baby, like if babies could point out another baby who's like, you ever had like an exploding diaper? Like, be like, look at that, diaper's bad. It's like, well, where are you at? Um, never mind. Um, but yeah, like the thing is, is that like a lot of us, we think of the idea of exercising or oversight or calling out sin in this idea that it makes us look better. But the calling is we call out sin because we love someone. It shows that we care for them. It shows that we don't want them to be devoured by Satan who is trying to tempt them with what's around them. If we're willing and truthfully making disciples, then we're going to stand firm in pushing them to Christ. And stand firm in pointing out sin. And I think one of the most sobering things to read here is that we're gonna stand firm in be an example. That your life is the life that exactly that Paul says says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As you shepherd people, as you lead people to Christ, which we're all called to do, make disciples. You have to really put that in perspective of saying, follow me as I follow Christ. right? To those that are making disciples, you guide, you call out sin, and your examples. And the second group of this is he says, he calls them young believers. <clears throat> A better way to say that is anyone who is being shepherded or discipled, which hopefully is the rest of us, or all of us, that we are sitting under someone. Right? The first part of it is Peter talking about being under pastors and being, in, or having the hum- humility and like to do that. But I think more importantly, Peter points out this in verses six through 11. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Right? Peter is saying, humble yourselves under God, who is the chief shepherd, who is the overseer of all. Right? There's this calling to be under the the authority of God, but that's not it. It's not just like, hey, be under God's authority. He's like, be under God's protection. Have any of you guys played like outdoor sports? Yeah, yeah, outdoor sports. There's sports that are played indoors. There's play that are played outdoors, okay? I don't know why people are laughing. Okay, whatever, okay? Outdoor sports. Have any of you guys been like, outdoor sports and there's like, a lightning delay? Right? They, like, what do they do? When there's a lightning delay, they're like, hey, get under this covered area. They're not like, hey, guys, there's a lightning delay. Just don't move and stand out there. Like, why? Because you may get shocked by a lightning bolt, which not very high... Whatever, But they ask you to go under some type of shelter, some type of protection, that if there was lightning to hit near you, it would, something would protect you. And that's exactly what Peter is pointing to here. He's like, you sit under the protection of God. Right? He's not saying just humble yourselves under some authority. Humble yourselves under someone who is willing to protect you. Which if we think of this as like we humble ourselves under God's authority, but also under his protection, it makes the next verses really understandable casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. If God is protecting us, then lay your anxieties on him, not not just because he protects you, but because he cares for you. Since we have a God who protects and cares for us, let us be sober-minded and watchful. And Micah talked a lot about this, actually the whole sermon was about it last week, about being sober-minded, having a clear mind to, to be able to know what is happening but we all know the feelings of fear or anxiety, right? They feel, they fill and capture our whole minds, right? For me, when anxiety is filling me up, it's all I can think about, right? It's all I can see. We can't be sober-minded and watchful when anxieties and fears are filling us up. And what I'm I'm saying here is not just like, stop being anxious. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying just stop being fearful. What I'm saying is, take those fears and those anxieties and cast them to the Lord who cares, who desires to take all that you have and bear it on himself. You can be sober-minded and watchful in your lives, watching out for the lies of the devil because you have a God who's willing to take everything you have and lay it on him. right? Both of these groups fall under this idea of standing firm. Those that are shepherd and those that are being shepherd, like this is what's being laid out before them, right? If you're discipling, stand firm by leading, calling out sin, being examples, right? Not letting your own pride and motives lead, but taking the example of Jesus who is the ultimate shepherd, Right? All of us who are being discipled, which I hope is all of us, that we're standing firm by being sober-minded and watchful, not letting our pride lead us to going solo, but we're resting in God, letting him be our protection. And all of this, both of these things promise this. They promise eternal glory. In verse 4, it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And later on in verse 10, it says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. When we stand firm, there's a promise. Us being in heaven, being made new. But Peter's desire these pointing these people is to stand firm through all temptation and suffering because heaven is at the home that they long for. And ultimately we stand firm because it's the example we have in Jesus. In John chapter ten, verses seven through eleven, it says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen, but the sheep did not listen to them. <clears throat> I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Peter wants us to look to the good shepherd. He is the example that we have seen week after week after week walking to First Peter. Jesus is the shepherd that we can trust and be led. He is the one who laid down his very life by going to the cross, dying for our sins to then be raised three days later and ascend back to the Father where he sits on the throne and he can protect us and care for us. Jesus is the shepherd we stand firm for. We don't just stand firm because it's what we're supposed to do and it's the good thing. We stand firm because one day the promise of eternity with our good shepherd Jesus will be fulfilled. And it says in the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, it says, and he will wipe away every tear and death will be no more because the former things have passed away. We do not fear what this world has because there's a promise one day that it'll all be gone. I promise you, I can't can't promise you that if you become a Christian or you live your life for Christ, that it will be easy. I can't promise that the hard things that you have are going to go away. But what I can promise is there will be one day when it all will be made new and you will never have to fear it. The anxiety that you're struggling with, the depression that haunts your life, the fear that drives you to keep away from people, the physical ailment that's drawing you down, the loss of family members that doesn't make sense, the brokenness of your home that has wreaked your life, it will all be gone. When you look Jesus, face-to-face one day. And that is a far greater promise that the short time we're here on earth, you, though it be difficult, the rest of eternity, the rest of that you can ever imagine will be with the Father who loves you and created you and did everything so that you could be with him one day. That is the good shepherd we stand firm for. That is the reason that I stand up here and say, stand firm in the midst of it all. Because there is a God who was willing to stand firm and when, when he could have saved himself when he could have chosen not to go to the cross, when he, could have done, when he could have possibly done anything else because he is God, he said, I will die for you. There's a promise of heaven and it's far greater. I want to end with this. For those of you tonight who have never decided to follow Jesus, the good news of Jesus dying for your sins and giving you hope to an eternal home is for you. And know that all it takes is to confess with your mouth that you have fallen short and believe in your heart and you will be saved. That's all that it takes to one day be face-to-face with Jesus in a home. Right, And Peter, for for everyone else, these believing exiles who are being called to live differently, to do good, even when suffering comes and to watch their lives and be sober-minded. Peter calls them to stand firm. And I want to encourage you with the same. In this life, you are exiles. This is not your home. It's not our home. We will one day be home in heaven with our creator. So while you're here, go and do good. Live differently than the current that's pushed around. Live with sober-mindedness. And when suffering comes, trust that God is with you. And stand firm believing that nothing is better than Jesus. Will you live this way, or there's things causing you not to stand firm? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. The Lord, it's good. And Father, that it gives hope. And Lord, all of this is not just a calling to, to do a bunch of rules and live a certain way so that we can maybe one day ascend the hill to get to you. But we have a God who came down the hill to meet us and die for us. Father, I just pray. Lord, that you would work in our hearts to remember that we don't stand firm just for the action of standing firm. We stand firm because we know the God that gave everything for us. And as we have, while this war around us, that Satan is trying to devour us and turn us away from you, Father, I pray for each one in this room that, Lord, you would remind them that you love them and you are there to walk with them and they would choose to stand firm in the midst of it all. So, Lord, move and work and let it be for your glory. Amen.